Good morning. And happy Easter. He is risen. Hey, you actually responded to that better than what I thought you would. Um, it is Easter, right? I mean, we're going in John 20. Harrison, it's Easter, right? Todd told me I was preaching on John 20, so I figured it was probably Easter. Um, but I did feel like that was kind of weird since we hadn't even gotten to Christmas yet. Uh, so a little confused, right? Um, well, uh, obviously you can tell I'm kidding. You're hoping I'm kidding. Um, but uh, as we go in John 20 today, um, I want to encourage you to approach this as, okay, we're, we're going into a passage that we don't normally look at outside of Easter a lot, right? And sometimes when we come to passages at times when we don't normally encounter them, they can be uh, refreshing and eye-opening. Uh, so I pray that is the way it is today for us, uh, that this is refreshing and eye-opening. Uh, so I, I assume you're probably already in John 20. If not, please turn there. And the, the way we're going to look at this today is the first part of our time together in the Word is going to be focusing on exactly what's happening in this passage with the events that John 20 is recording in regards to Jesus' resurrection, and specifically his, his care and interaction with Mary, okay? And then, after that, we're going to look at what is the significance of Jesus' resurrection and the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit for us in our everyday lives, okay? So that's where we're going to go today. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for the songs that we've already sang to you and that uh, you are good and your steadfast love endures forever and you are faithful to all generations. And we thank you for being kind and patient with us. Lord, for welling it up in us to, to be here today to worship you together. And Lord, uh, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would work in us this morning. Make us more like Jesus, Holy Spirit, please do that great work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, Jesus' resurrection here in John 20 and his interactions with Mary, uh, before we kind of jump into it in detail, the, the one thing that I think is so cool about this uh, that we need to kind of establish at the beginning is that this is unusual for things that happened back then, that a woman would be the one who sees the Savior first. Okay? And why is that? Well, um, this yes, that's what happened, but that's not what they would have expected. Because... At that time, especially, women were seen as second to men in so many different areas. And so this ends up becoming a, a debunking kind of um, place in Scripture where for people that say, oh, that Christianity is a made-up religion, 
by people at that time trying to start up something new that Jesus was never really resurrected. The fact that a woman was the first to see Jesus, if you wanted to start a new religion back then, don't do that because people would automatically disqualify you trying to start up something like that with a woman being the first to see Jesus. You don't start a new religion like that. Or by saying things like we have in other places in Scripture, that men and women are co-heirs of God's promise and one in Christ. Things like that uh, should actually be something that we show to a watching world who would say, this is a made-up religion. You just don't say things like that to make up a religion at that time. It wouldn't gain any traction. So it really shows us that God was up to something that was not devised in the mind of people, right? So this is a sweet passage in that way. So, verses 11 through 13, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. So here, Mary's weeping. Uh, she actually hung around. Peter and John left. Uh, she hung around just to see if there was maybe someone who would come along or something that would happen that would uh, help her to be able to answer the question, Where is his body? Just looking for help to find this. And, and you can kind of understand her reaction. It's like, man, things are already bad enough, right? Jesus died. We're sad. Where, what's happened? What's going on? And now someone's come and taken his body. Like, what else could go wrong kind of thing? What is happening here? Why would someone do this? And uh, after the angels ask, why are you weeping? We, we see we start to see the beginning of her articulating what she exactly is feeling, right? Uh, that she's, she's focused on a dead body. <laughs> she's sad that the dead body of Jesus is not there anymore. And why is this happening? But isn't that ironic, right? She's focused on the dead body of Jesus, and it's amazing that this is her concern uh, in light of what we know has really happened, Right? Something much greater than her just finding the dead body again is happening. So then in verses 14 and 15, uh, Jesus appears and cares for her in the questions that he has, right? Having said this, Mary, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she, asked, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. So he asks her these questions, and this is always that, that weird sense we get, right, when we see Jesus asking questions that he really already knows the answers to. Um, and so you're like, why is the God of the universe asking questions really of anybody at any time uh, when he knows the answer already? And it really does sh show that picture of uh, God condescending to Mary. 
God condescending to us and how he interacts with us. Now, a lot of times we think of condescending as a bad word, like, are you being condescending towards me? Um, but it just really means someone of a higher state coming down to a lower state to interact, right? You're, you're condescending. So, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard the saying, God stoops and he bends and he condescends, right? He, he comes down to us at our level with us to interact with us. He comes to be like us, right? To come and take on human flesh. He stoops and he bends and he condescends. And so you have Jesus here interacting with Mary in a gracious way by asking her these questions and interacting with her. And the, the answer that she gives is, is, you know, a little bit deeper into exactly just what she wants, right? Just tell me, if you're the one who moved his body, just tell me where you put it and I'll take care of it. I'll just figure this out. Just please tell me where his body is. So, then in verse 16... This is where Jesus actually gives Mary far more than what she was asking for, right? Uh, which is an amazing thing. It says, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. So this is a sweet moment here. And we should really see this as Jesus recognizes Mary before Mary recognizes him, right? This is the way it always is with the Lord, right? It's the way it is for all believers. He knows her name. He knows who she is. And he reveals that he knows who she is. And so then she's able to know who he is. For all of us, we don't recognize the Lord unless he calls us first, unless he shows his recognition of us, then we can know him. And this makes sense, right? This makes sense because the scriptures clearly tell us that we are dead in our sin, we're lost, we're strangers to the Lord, we're enemies to God, we don't seek after him. And so we need him to call us and change us so that we can actually recognize him, who he is and what he's done for us. So this is just a little piece, a little picture of that in terms of his interactions with Mary. He graciously calls her by name and she recognizes him. Aren't you thankful if you know the Lord Jesus and you're here, aren't you thankful that he called your name and recognized you and changed you so that you would be able to recognize him and know him? So then he says, don't cling to me. Uh, in verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and, to, and your Father, to my God and your God. 
it seems kind of funny, like she's, she, you know, she's clinging to him. And, you know, we could take this like in a wrong way of like, get off of me, woman. Um, and he's not, he's not saying that in that way um, because we see the rest of what he's saying. But if you, if you think of it in the sense of um, Mary, now that she knows it's him and he's alive, like, think about this. Even if she would have found the dead body, there may have been a sense that she would have clung to the dead body. Right? Because she was so desperately wanting to find the dead body of her Lord. But here she has the real alive Jesus right in front of her. So you can imagine the clinging that would be going on, right? She would be afraid that she would lose him again if she lets go kind of thing, right? And this is the way it is for, for uh, parting from the ones that we love, losing the ones that we love. Uh, I remember when... Uh, the, kind of the first time I, I had to leave people for a long time, people that I loved, you know, and uh, I told this story a long time ago, but when I was in third grade and my mom was moving out west and the rest of my family's in Cincinnati and, uh, you know, I, I, get, I have to get on a plane by myself to fly out there. And I'm saying goodbye to my dad and my, my whole family. And it was excruciating. And I remember being on the plane by myself and just crying. Um, and then uh, when I moved back to Cincinnati, so there were all these times when, in which I'd fly back to Cincinnati, have to say goodbye again, say goodbye to my mom out there, and there was all this back and forth, right? Um, and then when I moved back to Cincinnati, there was, I'd only go out to see my mom at times. And so I knew leaving her, I wouldn't get to see her as much. So there was this clinging back and forth, right, that feeling. Um, and then more recently uh, with our son Titus. And I know this is w the way it's going to be for all of our kids when they leave our home. You know, we, we drop him off at the University of Cincinnati and, you know, we're standing there in the room with him. And it's time to say goodbye. And you can't leave the room. Like, you're just like, when do I leave? Like, when do I do this, right? And, and so it, it felt so weird walking out of that room to leave him in that room and all of us leave to come back here. And you just think about, like, that's, that's me wanting to cling to and stay with people who do know me, who have lived with me, and who do love me. But if you think about, you know, the, the physical presence of the Lord of the universe who really knows us, totally inside and out, and who still loves us and cares for us and cares about spending time with us and who pursues after us, that just doesn't, like, can you imagine that feeling of someone like that being afraid they're going to be gone? You know? And that's where Mary was at. So, so him telling her, hey, you know, it's okay, you can go, and I, I have something I want you to go do, by the way. I want you to go tell everyone else about what you've seen. So he sends Mary on the mission he sends us all on, right? Just that simple thing, that simple phrase, I have seen the Lord. 
That's what he says, right? Uh, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the same thing, and it's the great commission at some level. Uh, go and make disciples of all nations, right? Telling them about the Lord, telling people about the Lord, and really us as believers reminding one another that we have seen the Lord, we have interacted with the Lord, we know who he is, we love him. Like, we need that from one another too. It's not, a lot of times we get stuck on, like, we, we go and we tell new people about Jesus, which, yes, that's part of it, right? But we need to grow also in how we tell one another how we've seen the Lord, what he's been up to in our lives, how we're praising him and thanking him, right? So that same mission that the Lord sends Mary on, we should be sent out amongst one another and to a watching world and to our coworkers and to our neighbors, all those things. Just what it means that we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. So, neat, sweet things in that passage. Now, as we think about what, what does the Lord have for us in the significance of his resurrection, how does that impact our daily lives today? And I really want to commend to you getting to know better Romans 8. Romans 8 has to do with the uh, life in the Spirit. Okay, And in Romans 8, listen to this cool connecting verse of what the resurrection means for us today. Romans 8, 11, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. This is really gigantic for us. This is huge because we're talking about the same spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. If we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the only reason why we know him and love him is because the spirit is in us. So the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit, is in us and at work in us for our lives today. So the resurrection in that way is connected to us. And if you think about there, there's kind of a, a general way to think about, um, it's kind of like a timeline, I guess you could say, of the three ways in which the resurrection impacts us. First of all, there's the Spirit's power to change us into believers in Christ. So in Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we have that first place in time where the spirit changes us to where we can have faith in Jesus. An awesome and great change, right? that can't happen apart from the work of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, the resurrection power of the Spirit. Then we have this whole block of time where it's our lives before Jesus comes back, okay? Or we die. 
So the Spirit's power is making us more like Jesus in our lives now. He's conforming us into the image of Christ. And in 2 Corinthians 3, he says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And then finally, our final resurrection, right? The final resurrection when Jesus returns, our bodies will be raised up like Jesus' was. The Spirit works in us to follow the example of what he did in his resurrection. So that same power that rose Jesus from the dead will raise us from the dead. So you kind of have this three-part thing of what is the significance of the resurrection for us. But let's just look at a couple things about the significance of the resurrection for us in our lives now. So that middle part. Well, the Spirit is working in us to bring us to be more like Christ in his life and in our vibrancy of our lives to make us more like Jesus. And the first thing, we could talk about so many things of the Spirit's resurrection power in us. But the two of the two, the first one, because of the Spirit's resurrection power in us, we don't live like those with no hope. We don't live as if we don't have any hope. It's easy to get frustrated and bogged down by our continued failures and sin. Who has felt like that recently? Wow, not as many hands as I thought. Okay. You guys are feeling pretty confident in life. Okay. It's easy to get frustrated and bogged down by our continued failures and sin. Um, And the world recognizes these things at some level. Like even people who don't know Jesus. The world recognizes the, the struggle with, we just mess things up. Uh, Taylor Swift, in her recent album, she has a song called Antihero. And here's just the first part of the song. Listen to how she articulates how she's frustrated with herself. I have this thing where I get older, but just never wiser. Midnights become my afternoons. When my depression works the graveyard shift, all of the people I've ghosted stand there in the room. I should not be left to my own devices. They come with prices and vices. I end up in crisis. I've realized all this time. I wake up screaming from dreaming. One day I'll watch you watch as you're leaving because you got tired of my scheming for the last time. It's me. Hi. I'm the problem, it's me. At tea time, everybody agrees. I'll stare directly at the sun, but never in the mirror. It must be exhausting, always rooting for the anti-hero. Do you just see the struggle there? I mean, she's frustrated with how she has dealt with things in her life. And what a great picture of human depravity and seeing no hope for change in us. I mean, when she just says, when I'm left to my own devices, it's not going to go well. And that's true of every single one of us. 
But thankfully, we don't have to live in that song because that song doesn't even end up offering any hope in the end. Now, she may have an upbeat song next on the album that, <laughs> you know, you kind of get up for her, you know, or whatever, all right? But, but in the end, that song has no hope. And apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from God working in us, we have no hope. The Spirit is the one who changes us. We should have hope. If he's changed us in the first place, why can't he keep changing us now? If he had the power to change us from dead to life, why wouldn't he have the power to make us more like Jesus now and in the years to come? If he changed us to have faith in Christ, he can surely make us more like Jesus over the course of our lives. And this also helps give us hope and patience with other people who are Christians. Anybody here get frustrated with a Christian anytime recently? Okay, yeah, apart, there were some emphatic two hands right there. <laughs> okay, at least they're sitting next to each other. All right, all right. Um, yeah, you, you recognize that apart from the Spirit's work, even the people that we love and care about and we live with, they're not going to change either. But if we've lived with someone long enough who's a Christian we can see the Spirit's work over time in their lives. We can see that 10 years ago, they were less like Jesus than what they are now. And sometimes we need decades, right? In us, in others, sometimes we need that. But this, the, the work of the Spirit gives us hope in these ways. Uh, the second way to... to um, see the resurrection power of the Spirit uh, that I want to highlight, growing in intimacy with the Lord by leaning into the work of the Spirit. Okay? Leaning into the work of the Spirit. So one thing right away, pray that the Spirit would change parts of you that aren't like Christ. That should be a regular prayer that's just kind of, I mean, because we should notice our sin. Holy Spirit, change me in this place. Right? I mean, I'll be honest, when we go to sing songs on Sunday mornings or I, I hear it on radio or other times, and there are lines in the song that say something like, I give you my whole heart or I give you everything. And I immediately have a check in myself of like, Lord, I know that there are some things in me that I am having a very hard time giving over to you. There are parts in me that are so, feel so far from redemption. And in that moment when I have to sing, I'm like, Lord, I don't even know if I can sing that line, right? Lord, help me to sing that line. Help me to increase that desire in me. I want to get closer and closer to just everything. That's a way to interact with the Spirit, and lean into the reality of what's happening in us and what needs to change in us, right? To praise and thank the Holy Spirit for change in you and in others. Your salvation, how he's changing you now. So giving praise and thanks to the Spirit. And recognizing the Spirit's help 
in moments of hardship and in our weakness, we need resurrection spirit power all the time. But you just think about what it says uh, in Romans 8 also. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Have you ever felt like you just don't even know what to pray for? Or you've been praying the same things and you just don't know what to pray for? The Spirit knows and can articulate those things. And He loves to do that for us. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I don't know the will of God. I know the general will of God, but like exactly what's going to happen and all those kinds of, like I need the Spirit to intercede for me according to the will of God. And we know that for those, and this is, this is amazing, this is what this, we know this verse very well, Romans eight twenty eight, but we don't know what it's attached to a lot of times right before it, what I just read. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. That's all attached to seeking the Spirit and understanding that in our weakness, the Spirit is doing things. So us leaning into and recognizing, Spirit, please, I just don't know. Just don't know what to pray for. Growing in that kind of intimacy with the Lord is going to help us to become more like Jesus too. So we have many things to be thankful for in the resurrection power of the Spirit of God. We'd be thankful for Jesus' resurrection We'd be lost without that seal of power that he is the son of God who came to save us. And we can be thankful that we have hope. We don't have to lose heart. The spirit is at work in us to make us more like Jesus and the people around us. Amen. Amen.